Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Our text this morning is Acts 18 verses 1 through 11. But as we come to listen to God's Word and hear it preached, uh, let's pray together. God, source of all light, by Your Word You give light to our souls. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that being taught by You in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Acts 18 verses 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worship of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or har to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, come up and join me. All right, everybody. So I have a job for one of you. Who wants to do it? Eleanor. All right. No, just stay right there. You're, you're good, right? There. All right. Here's your job. I want you to sit right there, and I want you to make me a paper airplane. All right. Are you ready? Go. <laughs> no, that's Eleanor's job. Eleanor, go. No paper. I'm not worried about that one bit. Oh. Well. Egypt, 
Do you remember what he, he made Israel do? done so already open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18 our text this morning is Acts chapter 18 verses 1 uh, through 11 Luke's uh, account at least the beginning of Luke's account of, of Paul's ministry there in Corinth you may remember that last Sunday uh, we considered Paul's address to the Areopagus back in uh, Athens and Luke tells us here in verse 1 that after this, after that address, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now previously, we've seen Paul chased out of uh, the places where he was doing ministry. We saw him chased out of Philippi by the authorities who, who saw him as a threat to the peace of their city. And then we saw him chased out of Thessalonica and then again Berea by the Jews who were jealous for the traditions of their fathers and saw his ministry as a threat to those traditions. This time Luke doesn't tell us exactly why Paul left Athens. We, we don't know if he was under threat. We don't know if he was just frustrated. We don't know if he was run out of town. We, we're not sure what's going on, but for whatever reason, Paul leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. 
And what I want us to focus on this morning is just exactly what Sam was talking about with the kids. I want us to focus on how the Lord provides for Paul while he is there in Corinth. First, we see him provide Paul with community. Next, we see him provide Paul with monetary support. And finally, we see him provide Paul with this much-needed encouragement. And what I want us to see in this is that, that in Paul's provision there in Corinth, we have a glimpse of what it means to live life with Jesus with us. That's what we celebrate this time of year. This is Advent when we remember Emmanuel, remember God with us, remember God sending His Son into the world for us to be with us, that we might be with Him. And in His presence with us, we have everything we need. We have everything we need for the forgiveness of our sins, but more than that, we have everything we need to live to the praise of His glory. Even as the Lord says here to Paul, because He is with us, we have nothing to fear. Because He is with us, we can know that whatever we need to do those good works that He has prepared for us to do, that it will be provided. That's what Paul experienced. And that is what we will experience as well. So let's begin here with, with Paul, the Lord's provision of community for Paul. We, we see this in verse 2. Luke writes there, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, that is the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see him. So here we see Paul finding Priscilla and Aquila there in, in Corinth and, and joining himself to them. Now remember, up to this point, uh, at least for the uh, previous several weeks, Paul has been alone. He was alone in Athens. Why was he alone? He was alone because he had left Silas and Timothy, his, his co-laborers, he had left them back in Berea to, to finish the work of establishing the church there. When he left Thessalonica, he was able to, to lead the church with Jason. But when he left Berea, there was no one yet to entrust the church to, and so he left behind his co-laborers so that they might finish that good work. But that meant that he was now alone, and he had been alone in Athens, and now that he had left Athens, he, he has come to Corinth alone. And I just wonder, have you, have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been somewhere new and strange and all alone? It is, it is stressful, to say the least. I, I experienced something like that at a, at a very minor level when I began to do campus ministry at the University of North Carolina in Asheville. I had been, I had been hired out of seminary by uh, Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church, and they, had a, uh, they supported the campus ministry there at UNCA. And so when I came on at the church, I also came on as a, as a campus minister at UNCA. Now, I had never stepped foot on UNCA's campus before. And not only had I never stepped foot on UNCA's campus before, I didn't know anyone there. There was no one in the RUF. There was, there was no students on to, to contact. There were no students to, to talk to. I was just simply walking into the middle of a campus where I knew no one to begin doing ministry. And it was just a little bit uncomfortable. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. It was, it was stressful. It was way outside of my comfort zone. Imagine how much more stress Paul was feeling as he was alone. We, we sometimes think of him as this superhero who must have been immune to that stress. He must have been immune to the, the strains of, of being alone. 
Paul actually tells us that was not the case. In his letter to the Corinthians, which he, he writes later after, after leaving Corinth and moving on, he admits that he came to them with weakness and fear and much trembling. When Paul arrived in Corinth, he was feeling weak. He was feeling fear. He was even trembling, he says. And it's safe for us to assume that this was for any number of reasons, but it was in part because he was alone. And so what I want us to notice first is how the Lord provides him with community. He meets a Jew named Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. Now they are there in Corinth because we're told of, of Claudius's edict. Now we know of Claudius's edict from, from other historical sources. What we know is that Claudius got tired of the Jews fighting amongst themselves about some guy named Christus, which is, is obviously a, a reference to Christ. There was, there was conflict in the, the Jewish community in Rome because of the proclamation of Christ. Now, we know Paul hadn't been there yet, but Christ was being proclaimed even in the capital, and that was causing controversy, even as it had caused in Thessalonica and Berea and these other cities. There was, there was conflict there, and Claudius just got tired of it and just sent all the Jews away. He said, I don't, I don't need to work this out. I don't need to discern. You're just leaving my city. And so Priscilla and Aquila had, had been forced out of their home there in Rome, and they had established themselves in Corinth, and, and there Paul found them, is what Luke says. Now, it's not immediately clear what that means. What does it mean that he, that he found them? Usually when you speak of finding someone, it's someone that you already know. Is that the case here? Did Paul already know uh, Priscilla and, and Aquila? We know that he would uh, work with them closely later on. It's possible that he already knew them and was, was delighted to find someone he knew, fellow Christians who he, could, who he could partner with. But even if he didn't know them already, even if he meets them here for the first time, one way or the other, he is finding the community that he needs. He is finding fellowship with, with other believers. He is, he is finding the, the support and the encouragement of being with his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what God is providing. And you can imagine how significant that would have been to Paul at this point after being alone in Athens, after being uh, alone there in, in Corinth, after coming in fear and trembling, finally to have community, to have people who he knows, to be people who, who are partners with him in this ministry. And that's something that we all need. None of us were created to, to do life alone. We were created to do life in community. It's a, it's a significant part of how we do life here at, at Trinity. We, we seek to help one another grow up towards maturity in Christ in community, in the context of, of shared lives, because that's God's design. And it's God's design for Paul as well. And here, God is providing Paul with what he was missing, with what he needed. But he doesn't only provide him with community. The next thing we see is that through this community, he's actually going to provide Paul with monetary provision. Again, look, notice what Luke tells us. He says, because they were of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. This is actually where we get the, the language of being a tent maker. We, we know that Paul continued to preach the gospel. We're, we're told that, that he, was, he was busy with that work. Uh, we see this in verse 4. He was reasoning in the synagogue. But, but even as he did this, he was supporting himself by his work as a tent maker. The language that we use for a minister of the gospel who supports himself by, by working another job, what we sometimes today call a, a bivocational minister. 
Now it's clear from Paul's uh, letters and from other things that, that Paul writes that it is, it is right and good for a minister to be paid for his work as a minister. It is right and good that he make his, his living from the ministry of the Word. And I'll just say, I'm thankful for that. I, I am thankful that I have had the privilege of, of serving congregations that were able to pay me to work as a minister of the gospel. I've never had to work a, a second job, but, but many ministers have, and, and many ministers still do even today. There are bivocational ministers here in, in Cleveland who, who work a second job, who work as tent makers effectively in order to support their ministry. And that language comes out of Paul's time in Corinth. He, he worked there as a tent maker to support himself while he was still engaged in gospel ministry. But I think it may be a mistake to think that Paul was always a tent maker. We see him working here in Corinth because he is alone and he needs to have some funds to, to buy food and to, to pay for his provisions. But notice what happens. Notice what happens when, when Paul or when Silas and Timothy come. We're told in, in verse 5 that while Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. And that language of being occupied is, is language that might be translated as he devoted himself to or he was fully immersed in. And so when Silas and Timothy rejoin him, he is able again to devote himself fully or to fully immerse himself in the ministry of the word. What does that mean? It may mean that they had brought with them support from Berea and from Macedonia. We actually know this from Paul's letters, that he did receive support and that he, he received that support with great joy. He was, he was encouraged by it, not just because of the monetary support that it provided, but because it reminded him that the church was behind him. The church was, was with him in his ministry. Or it may mean that Silas and Timothy took up the, the responsibility of, of doing the work that supplied the funds that paid for their, their ministry. But one way or the other, Paul is able to devote himself, to, to, to re-immerse himself in the work of the Word when Silas and Timothy rejoin him. We, we can't be sure exactly what that means, but it seems to suggest that Paul's time as a tent maker was limited. We know that he did not charge uh, those whom he ministered to uh, for his services the way that many of the uh, traveling philosophers did. He, he didn't want to, to make that a hindrance to the proclamation of of the gospel, but he was supported uh, by others the way that missionaries today so often are. And it is appropriate, uh, therefore, for, for that to be the case. But, but again, whatever we see here about, about Paul supporting himself or Paul being supported by others, what I want you to notice here is the way that God provides Paul with support through gainful employment at the moment that he needs it, at the moment when he is alone at the moment when there are not others who are supporting him. And again, just think about the, the encouragement that that would have been. Have you ever felt the relief of, of finding employment, of finding some way to, to pay the bills when you weren't sure how you were going to make ends meet? There was probably a time when you weren't sure how you were going to pay your bills. That may even be still true today. You're not sure where the money is coming from. You're not sure how you're going to, to support yourself. And the Lord provides. Sometimes He provides through gifts. Sometimes He provides through gainful employment. I'm, I'm reminded of the, the scene that you see in, in a movie like Cinderella Man. It's, it's a movie that 
I think about often because there's this powerful scene where the, the men are all gathered on the docks and they're looking for employment that day and the, and the guys who get it, the guys who receive one of the coins, the guys who know that they're going to be able to, to buy food for the family that day, there is joy and there is relief in the provision of the work. And I've seen it myself in, in person. I've seen the joy that, that you feel, what members of this congregation feel, when finally they are able to find work that will pay their bills after being un, unemployed or underemployed for a season. That's what Paul finds here. This employment is, is important. This employment is, is how he is going to support himself. It's how he's going to make ends meet until his friends are able to rejoin him. And not only did he find employment, but he found employment in his trade. It tells us that he was a tent maker by trade, and, and Priscilla and Quilla were, were tent makers, and he found work that he could do, do to, to pay the bills. So again, we see how the Lord is, is providing for Paul. First, he's, he's providing him with fellowship, then he's, he's providing him with gainful employment, and finally, he provides him with encouragement. We see this at the end of the passage. I mean, remember, Paul, Paul's last couple of months have, have been pretty rough. He was arrested, beaten, and imprisoned in Philippi. He was then chased out of Thessalonica with a, a threat against his life, and again out of Berea by the, by the same mob. And then in Athens, he was, he was not persecuted as far as we know, but he was clearly mocked by the intelligentsia of the city, proclaimed a, a babbler and a preacher of, of foreign divinities. And so I am sure that Paul was more than ready for this word of encouragement that he receives from the Lord here in Corinth. He's, he's still doing the work. We, we see that beginning in verse 5. He's, he's devoted to the work. And, and again, he's, he's facing opposition as he had before. The Jews are, are opposing him so much so that we, we see him do what we have seen him do before. He, he shakes the dust off his feet and determines that he is going to go to the Gentiles. He says, I proclaim the gospel in the synagogues. I, I proclaim the gospels to the Jews. Your blood is on your own head. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And you wonder what Paul was thinking as he spoke those words. He has to be thinking that, that history is about to repeat itself. I've been, I've been run out of Thessalonica. I've been run out of Berea. It's, it's all happening again. But it's at that moment that the Lord speaks to him one night in a vision and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So the first thing that, that Paul hears here is a promise of peace from persecution, from that persecution that, that Paul had been facing. He had been stoned. He had been threatened. He had been run out again and again. We, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. And no doubt, as he, as he was fearing that this all was about to happen again, the Lord says, no, do not be afraid. No one will persecute you. No one will harm you. That's not going to happen here. Yes, you may face some resistance, you may face some opposition, but you will have peace from the persecution that has, that has been your lot for the past however many months. And again, imagine the, the relief that Paul must have felt to, to know that he was going to have a season of peace. But not only was it 
going to be peace from the persecution. There was also going to be fruitful ministry. That's the second part of, of Jesus' promise here. Again, we've, we've seen Paul that uh, we've seen Paul's interest in fruitfulness. We, we considered the, uh, the, the strategy of his ministry some weeks ago as he goes into these cities, as he goes to the places where he is, he is most likely to have fruit and, and fruit that will grow out into the surrounding areas. Paul is, is concerned with fruit. He tells us this himself in his letter to the Romans. He says, I want to preach the gospel that I might reap a harvest among you. And in 1 Corinthians, he, he tells us that, that he seeks to, to do ministry in such a way that he might save as many as possible. So Paul is interested in fruit, and he had seen fruit previously. But his ministry in Athens had, had, had been meager at best. Only a few had, had come to faith. And so Paul is, is greatly encouraged here to, to know that God still intends to work through him. God is not done with him. God, his labors will not be in vain but that God is going to draw to Himself many people. That is what is being promised here. When the many who God says are His people, these are not people who are already Christians. He is referring here to the elect. I know that's a, a word that causes trouble for, for many. We, we struggle with this idea of election, but the idea here is that God has, has chosen many people for Himself, many people whom He is going to save through Paul's ministry. We struggle with the idea of election because, because we think that it, it limits those who are going to be saved. It, it keeps certain people out. But, but if that's the way that you think about election, if you think of election as, as keeping people out, then I would, I would encourage you to, to actually do a complete 180 in your mind, to think about it in an, in an entirely uh, different direction. Election does not limit salvation to a few. Election makes salvation possible for any. Election is God's sovereign decree that, that ministry will bear fruit. You see, by nature, people are hostile towards God. By, by nature, they, they do not seek God, but actually resist Him and suppress His truth, that truth which He has made plain in creation and providence. They suppress that truth in unrighteousness. It is only uh, through God's effectual grace, it is only through His effectual calling that any respond to the gospel. If you are here this morning and you have believed, it's because God opened your eyes to see the beauty of Christ and He opened your ears to hear the wonder of the gospel. If you are here this morning and you are a believer, it is because of God's effectual grace. It is because of election. And that is true not only for you, that is true for all. So, so do not think of election as limiting salvation to a few but rather think of it as opening the door to salvation, as more than opening the door to salvation. Think of it as God deeming that He is going to save for Himself a people. And that's exactly what God is promising here. He's saying, I, through Paul, through His ministry, there are people in this city who I am going to save, who I, who I am going to reconcile to myself. And so Paul has the assurance of God's sovereign grace that his ministry will bear fruit there in court. That's the encouragement that he is receiving. And no doubt, that is the encouragement that he needed to hear. For it is the assurance that God is going to work that makes ministry possible. Ministry is hard. I don't just say that as a, as a pastor. If you've ever sought to do ministry, you know it's it's hard. It's hard to walk alongside people. It's hard to, to help people grow up towards maturity in Christ. It's, it's hard to help them to renounce their sins and turn from them back to God in uh, faith and repentance. Ministry is hard. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's messy. It's, it's exhausting. Why do we do it? 
We do it in part because we know that God has deemed to work through us to call people to Himself. We are not laboring in the hopes that maybe we might figure out the right way. Our efforts will always be pitiful. Our efforts will always be less than good enough. But God uses our pitiful and perfect efforts to accomplish His purposes, to redeem people out of darkness and to bring them to Himself. And it's because we know that God works through us that we are encouraged to do the work. And that's exactly what Paul is hearing here. God is going to work through Paul there in Athens. So, so think again about what we've seen. Think about God, the, 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 the manifold beauty of God's provision for Paul. He, he provides him with community. He's alone and now he's not. He provides him with, with monetary support. Those, those who've been paying his bills are no longer there. How's he going to make ends meet? God gives him gainful employment. And third, he provides him with this word of encouragement that he will have peace from the persecution that has oppressed him for, for so long and that he will continue to see fruit from his labors. What he does will not be in vain. This is the provision that God provides for Paul there in Corinth. Of course, the question is, what does this mean for us? What, what, what does it mean for us? What does, Paul's, what does God's provision for Paul mean for us today? What can we expect? Well, well to answer that question, we have to understand that, that Jesus' provision will not always look the same in, in every situation. It didn't even always look the same in, in Paul's life. Here, God provides Paul with community, but we know that there were seasons when Paul was alone. We, we've seen it. He was just alone in, in Athens. He, he comes to, to Corinth alone, and he will be alone again. He, he will speak about how, how everyone has, has departed from him. We've seen him alone. We will see him alone again. And not only have we seen him alone, but we've seen him in, in need. Paul himself tells us that there were times when, when he was in want, when he was hungry, when he was without. He, he learned to be content in those situations. But learning to be content in those situations meant that he experienced those situations. He experienced situations where he did not have the monetary support that would have made his life easier. And third, sometimes we've seen Paul's ministry produce only meager results. Here God promises there are many in this city that are mine, that I will call to myself through your labors. But, but that was not always the case. There were times when the, when the fruit of Paul's ministry was, was small. And insignificant from a human perspective. And so we, we understand that we cannot reduce God's provision to a simple formula. We cannot presume that, that God will always provide us in exactly the same way that His provision will always look like community or money or, or protection or, or fruitful labor. We know that His, His provision will look differently, but, but the foundational promise behind that provision, it is always there. It remains unchanged and unchanging. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Look again at what, what the Lord says to Paul. He says, do not be afraid. Why? Foundationally, fundamentally, because I am with you. That's the promise that remains unchanging. That's the promise that, that belongs to, to Paul. And in this situation here in Corinth, God's presence with Paul means community and means money and, and means fruitful labor. 
In other places, it meant different things. But that fundamental reality never changed. God is with him. And that is the promise that each and every one of us has. It's the promise that we remember during this Advent season. For God with us is the fundamental meaning of Emmanuel. It is what we remember, that God was with us in our misery. He entered into it with us that He might bring us out of it. In Jesus, God has provided for our greatest need. In Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We who were under condemnation are now declared righteous in God's sight, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. In Jesus, our greatest need has been met. The record of debt that was against us has been dealt with. We have been reconciled to God and made heirs of His kingdom. That is what is ours in Christ. And Paul tells us clearly that if God has done this for us in Christ, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all good things? He won't always give us everything we want or everything that would make our life easier, but everything we need, everything we need to glorify and enjoy Him today, everything we need to do those good works that He has prepared for us to do, it will be provided. We can rest assured knowing that He is with us. Sometimes that will mean material provision. Sometimes that will mean strength to endure going without what we think we need. Sometimes that will mean protection. Sometimes that will mean strength to endure the hardships of persecution. Sometimes that will mean community. And sometimes that will be the, the strength to let goods and kindred go. For whatever is necessary, whatever is necessary to fulfill our calling will be ours. That is the promise of Emmanuel. God has reconciled us to Himself that we might live to the praise of His glory. And He will not leave us with what we need. He will not leave us without what we need to do just that. So what are your, your callings? Think about it. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. I'm a neighbor. I'm a citizen. These, these are my callings. And, and we could dive into any one of those and, and look at, at the responsibilities that, that, that go with these particular callings. There are good works that have been prepared for me to do as a husband. There are good works that have been prepared for me to do as a friend and as a, as a neighbor, as a pastor. There are good works associated with my callings and I can engage in that work knowing that God is with me, knowing that He will provide whatever I need to do those works to the praise of His glory. And the same is true for you. You have many callings. It's not just your work. It's not just what you do to pay the bills. You have, you have many callings, just as I do. Many callings that, that require much of you. And you can engage in that work knowing that God is with you. Knowing that God will provide what you need. And I want you to especially think about that in terms of your calling as a member of Christ's church. As a member of Christ's church, you are called to make disciples. It's what we do. We, we build one another up towards maturity in Christ, and that's your work. Paul tells us in Ephesians that, the, that the, the pastors and the teachers, they are there to equip you to do that work, but the work is yours. And that can be intimidating. That can, that can feel like a lot. How, how, can I, how can I possibly do that work? But you can do it because God will provide you with what you need. He's placed you in a community. 
He placed you in a community of, of encouragement and support. And he will provide you with what you need to help the members of that community to grow up in faith, to grow up towards maturity in Jesus Christ. Just as he provided Jesus to meet our greatest need, he will graciously provide with him everything we need for every need to do his will. And because we have this sure and certain promise that he is with us and that he will provide, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your abundant provision. Father, may we not reduce it to a formula, but may we recognize that at its very heart, what we have is the promise that you are with us. And if you are with us, there is nothing we need fear. Father, teach us to rest in this promise to the praise of your glory and to do those good works that you have prepared and the strength that you provide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.